Young people everywhere are making a difference. Special Olympics has changed my life so dramatically. Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokens And non-token lovers of liberty It is Friday, January 8th, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Thank you for joining us here. We made it to the weekend. It's going to be a great weekend. Got NFL playoff football games going on. My Green Bay Packers taking on the team from Washington. And uh, let's hope the Packers can prevail. Play a little better than they have the past few weeks. All sorts of stuff coming up on today's show. And also a reminder... That uh, we're on CannabisRadio.com now, but uh, you may know me from my time with 420Radio.org. I wanted to let you know that 420Radio.org has been retooled now to be an all-music marijuana station. So uh, all the shows that we had music-wise, Big Daddy Fink, Electric Bob, Gordon Green, and Herb Thrasher will all be back and Myself on the new Viper Hour uh, will all be back on 420radio.org starting tonight at 8 p.m. Pacific time with a live edition of the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour, the first on the newly independent all music 420radio.org. So plenty of developments happening there. You can get the 420 radio app in the iTunes store, in the Android market and wherever it is you get Windows phone and BlackBerry apps. Yes, we've even got a BlackBerry app for 420 Radio, so check that out. But here on Cannabis Radio, we're bringing you all the latest news and information that you need for the cannabis community and the cannabis community. Coming up on today's show, we've got a very important guest joining us in our activist agenda. It's Lynette Shaw, the godmother of medical marijuana dispensaries in the state of California. She formed the Marin Alliance for Medical Marijuana in 1997, just shortly after medical marijuana was legalized. Uh, what she's been through as the feds raided her and the court cases against her and injunctions against her. It's just a travesty of justice. But now she is getting her due. She has finally gotten some decisions that have not only affected her case, but have had national import and precedence. So we'll talk to Lynette about that and what's happening with her and where she moves from here. Also coming up on the show today, we'll have time for a radical rant at the end of the show. We're going to talk again about that making a murderer that uh, documentary series on Netflix and give a little compare and contrast to some of the drug war police and prosecutorial corruption we've experienced that we've seen here on our side of the drug war. That's coming up at the end of our first hour. Also in the first hour in the drug war data mines, we're going to take a look at a new report from the Society for Human Resource Management. It's called 
policies for marijuana use in the workplace. And he gives an interesting look on the difference between workplace drug testing policies in legal states, medical states, and all the rest. So that's coming up in Drug War Data Mining, which is right after our Behind the Headlines segment. Today, we look at a piece from Rick Thompson out of Michigan and how the Michigan prosecuting attorneys have been uh, trying or have been colluding with the crime labs there to increase the charges against medical marijuana patients. And we'll tell you how and what's being done about that. That all comes right after our first break, where we bring you the Cannabis Radio News. And in the news today, we've got uh, a group of Massachusetts lawmakers traveling to Colorado to study legalization. We've got some terribly racist comments from the governor of Maine to tell you about. Sean Parker putting his money where his mouth is when it comes to marijuana legalization. An appeals court decision in Michigan about what is and is not usable medical marijuana. And the latest from Republican presidential candidate Ben Carson on his support for medical cannabis. Then stay tuned in hour two, Toker Talk Radio. The phone lines are open at 971-533-7111. We'll tell you the latest about the Cannabis Cafe, Arizona Normal, and the capture of El Chapo in Mexico. Plenty to round out your weekend. We're back after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Tokers, there's no good reason to get your dog stoned. While it might not harm them physically, imagine being a dog who already begs for treats all day, and then imagine that dog having the munchies. Not cool. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, January 8th, 2016. A group of Massachusetts senators plan to travel to Colorado next week to learn more about that state's system for the legalized use of recreational marijuana. The Senate Special Committee on Marijuana was formed last year in response to a potential 2016 ballot question that, if approved by voters, would allow pot to be used recreationally in Massachusetts by people 21 years of age or older. A draft itinerary for the four-day trip starting Monday includes meeting with Colorado state officials, legislators, and law enforcement. Committee Chairman Senator Jason Lewis says the panel has been making progress in studying the complex issues that arise out of marijuana legalization. Three other states, Washington, Alaska, and Oregon, have legalized the recreational use of marijuana. 
Drug Policy Alliance reports that Maine's Governor Paul LePage is no stranger to making crazy comments in public that are unbecoming to an elected official. But in his latest racist rant about heroin use in his state is rightfully getting people up in arms. During a town hall meeting on Wednesday night, LePage was asked about how he was tackling substance abuse in Maine. LePage responded, quote, these are guys with the name D-Money, Smoothie, Shifty, these type of guys. They come from Connecticut and New York. They come up here. They sell their heroin. They go back home, end quote. And because that wasn't explicitly racist enough, LePage elaborated, quote, Incidentally, half the time they impregnate a young white girl before they leave, which is a real sad thing because then we have another issue we have to deal with down the road, end quote. Ethan Nadelman, executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance, said, quote, LePage's comments sound like those of an unreconstructed racist. Whether one focuses on his outrageous words or on his outrageous drug policies, what's apparent is the governor's indifference to the lives and well-being of people struggling with addiction to heroin and other drugs. Forbes reports technology billionaire Sean Parker is putting his money where his mouth is when it comes to pot legalization. The former Facebook president donated half million dollars to back a proposed initiative to legalize recreational marijuana use for adults in California, according to state campaign finance records filed Thursday. Under the measure, it would be legal for adults 21 years or older to possess, use and buy up to one ounce of marijuana. The law would also impose a 15 percent sales tax and additional state cultivation taxes. Legislative analysts predict it would bring in more than $1 billion in state and local tax revenues. Parker's funds went to a newly formed committee called Californians to Control, Regulate, and Tax Adult Use of Marijuana While Protecting Children. In all, it has received $1.25 million in initial donations, including from Drug Policy Action and New Approach PAC. The campaign now needs to gather 365,880 signatures to qualify for November's general election. Michigan Live reports in a split decision, a Michigan state appeals panel said that harvested marijuana being kept in canisters to dry does not constitute usable marijuana. Elena Marie Roquefort, age 47, said she intended to make hash oil out of drying and thus not usable marijuana. Police seized 5.6 pounds of marijuana that was being dried during a September 15, 2012 raid in a house next to her Kentwood home. She argued before a Kent County Circuit Court judge that the seized marijuana, which exceeded the amount she could possess for her patients, was not usable because it was in the drying process. The state legislature says usable marijuana includes, quote, the dried leaves and flowers of the plant, end quote, but not seeds, stalks, and roots. Caregivers are allowed to possess up to 2.5 ounces of marijuana per patient. She would be allowed to possess 15 ounces for five patients and herself. Republican presidential candidate Ben Carson recently surprised America by showing support for medical cannabis. Culture Magazine reports when hard-pressed by a mother of an epileptic patient about his stance on cannabis, Ben Carson voiced his support to reschedule cannabis under federal law for medical purposes. Unlike other presidential candidates, Carson has hands-on experience in pediatric medicine. When asked how he'd go about changing medical cannabis laws, Carson said, quote, these are easy things and it goes back to the whole concept of creating efficiency in government, end quote. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, January 8th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E in tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. 
NewEraCPAs.com. With years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. MJWellness.com the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at the CompassionChronicles.com, a news and opinion source in Michigan for medical marijuana patients, and a reporter there, Rick Thompson, good friend of the show, a part of our marijuana election night coverage last year or two years ago, I should say, has written a piece entitled When Science Becomes a Puppet for Police. From Lansing, Michigan, formal complaints have been filed in federal court against the Michigan State Police Crime Laboratory by criminal defense attorneys who want an independent investigation into the lab's practices and policies. A series of emails revealed by a Freedom of Information Act request Illuminate the lab's abhorrent and illegal compromise of scientific method to alter test results from marijuana products in a way that favors prosecutors. Changes that were initiated by state drug task forces and the Prosecuting Attorneys Association of Michigan. Neil Rockind of Southfield, Michigan's Rockind Law issued a press release jointly with Michael Comorn of Southfield's Comorn Law saying, quote, Our formal letter of complaint is intended to launch a serious and objective review of practices of the crime lab by the National Institute of Justice, end quote. The letter was filed with the director of the National Institute of Justice, Office of Investigative and Forensic Sciences in Washington, D.C. It specifically cites, quote, negligence and incompetence resulting in crime lab findings, integrity and reliability that are in serious doubt, end quote, the press release revealed. Attorney Michael Nichols of Nichols Law Firm of East Lansing, Michigan, also filed a letter of complaint with the same agency on the same day, December 22nd. Comorn wrote in a special to the Compassion Chronicles, quote, under Michigan law, all marijuana plant-based cannabinoids and the flowers, oils, and edibles containing them are controlled as marijuana, and the possession of these is a Schedule I misdemeanor. Only the possession of synthetic, laboratory-manufactured cannabinoids is a Schedule One felony, end quote. Synthetic cannabinoids were made illegal in Michigan in 2013 by the state legislature in response to the rise of products like bath salts and spice and K2, drugs that induced wild and sometimes fatal side effects in users. 
Those laboratory substances are not included in, nor were they ever part of the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act. Despite the illegality of the possession of plant-based edibles and oils under appellate court interpretation of the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act, those medicines are regularly used by the 180,000 patients and caregivers registered in the medical program. Comorn said, quote, what recently uncovered emails reveal is that the attorney general's office, the prosecutor's union and the drug task forces pressured the lab to report marijuana edibles as a schedule one synthetic felony THC. Mr. Ken Stecker and the attorney general's office prompted the change. Pressure also came from the drug task forces so as to better establish probable cause to arrest marijuana patients and forfeit their assets, end quote. Asset forfeiture by police agencies in Michigan has become such a problem that the state legislature passed a sizable bill package of reforms, which were signed into law by the governor in 2015. Comorn says 40% of the crime lab work is devoted to marijuana testing. Marijuana cases turn up forfeiture dollars more frequently than meth, heroin, and other drug cases. The lab-related emails reveal there was broad opposition among lab scientists and administrators to the new reporting standard, and one employee quit his job at the lab in protest. In one email, Forensic Science Division Controlled Substance Unit Supervisor Bradley Choate said, quote, For the laboratory to contribute to this possible miscarriage of justice would be a huge black eye for the division and the department, end quote. Comorn filed a civil rights complaint complaint with the U.S. Department of Justice against two of the crime lab's directors on December 11th on behalf of his client, alleging continued violations of rights in lab actions dating from 2013. MSP crime lab director Gregoire Michaud, during a presentation to the criminal advocacy program, as quoted by Comorn, said, quote, there is nothing worse than a forensic scientist than confirmation bias, end quote. Michaud is one of the crime lab officials named in the civil rights complaint. In a recent interview, Comorn said, quote, the idea that the police and the lab and the prosecutors are all intertwined and they are on one side of the team versus the defendant is inherently a conflict. Nichols wrote in his letter, quote, the problem is the interference of the prosecuting attorneys association with the reporting of scientific results. It reflects a culture at the lab and its and its analysts that are not scientists reporting forensic analysis dispassionately in court through testimony. Both the Comorn Rockend and the Nichols complaints cite other issues with the crime lab, including underreporting of the uncertainty factor of blood alcohol testing. Federal action became necessary when defense attorneys discovered that the entity registered with the National Institute of Justice to oversee allegations of negligence or misconduct at the state police crime lab is the state police themselves. As documented by Fox 17 in Lansing, the internal investigations unit at the Michigan State Police saw no problem with the activities at their sister agency. Specifically, Fox 17 quotes the Michigan State Police representative as saying, quote, An internal policy change does not constitute misconduct or negligence. Therefore, no investigation is underway. The Michigan State Police does not consider your reports on a debate among colleagues prior to an internal policy decision to rise to the level of an allegation of misconduct, end quote. Despite their denials to to media about their concerns over the crime lab story, internal emails from the Michigan State Police itself reveal a great deal of discussion on the issue and media coverage of it. Attorney Nichols used Freedom of Information Act to reveal a 159-page email chain regarding the prosecutor's lab scandal and the fallout from it. 
initiated by the same Michigan State Police public relations representative that claimed they had no interest in the issue. Rockin and Comorn are not filing a federal lawsuit at this time. Per the press release, the National Institute of Justice has not yet responded to the formal complaint. So you've got the uh, crime lab being pressured by the prosecutors to report edibles and tinctures as synthetic THC as if they were made with spice and K2 rather than report them as natural THC as if they were made with the plants they were made from so that they could get a felony instead of a misdemeanor. Once again, the corruption of police in the drug war rears its ugly head. Hey, this is great, man. Well, happy 420 to everybody listening live in the Mountain Time Zone, Denver, Colorado, Boise, Idaho, Cheyenne, Wyoming, Salt Lake City, Utah, Phoenix, Arizona, Las Cruces, New Mexico. We love you all and plenty more of you. We'll talk more about corrupt cops when we get to the radical rant at the end of the show. Lynette Shaw's coming up at half past, but coming up next, workplace drug testing. Get Dot Buzz. Dot Buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot Buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot Buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. Dot Buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. All right. Welcome back. In the Data Mines today, we go to the Society for Human Resource Management, which is a term right off the bat that kind of raises my ire. I kind of preferred when we were personnel. At least we were reminded that we were persons. Now we're just resources. But I uh, wanted to look at this uh, this report they've got, Policies for Marijuana Use in the Workplace. It's a PDF. You can get 35 slides of a PowerPoint of theirs 
that surveyed human resources professionals, in particularly those that have operations in states where marijuana use is legal for either medical or both medical and recreational use. And what they found is that the vast majority of companies with employing these HR professionals, 94% of them, in fact, have a formal written substance abuse policy. And what they found is that the formal written policies that specifically address marijuana use were more prevalent in states where marijuana use is legal for medical and recreational use. 39% of those policies uh, specifically address marijuana use in legal states versus 22% that specifically address marijuana in the states where they just have medical marijuana. Now, the majority of HR professionals indicated their organizations have zero tolerance policies. Use is not permitted for any reason. That would be uh, 73 to 82% uh, uh, rate there. And in the states where marijuana is legal for medical and recreational, they were more likely to have a zero tolerance policy. 82% in the states with recreational legalization, 73% in the states with only medical legalization. Also, the pros, uh, HR pros at the, uh, in the states where marijuana is legal only for medical use were more likely to indicate that they include exceptions for medical use than states where it's legal for medical and recreational use. That is, in 22% of the time, in a state that has medical marijuana only, there was an exception for medical use. That drops by half to 11% if the state also has marijuana legalization. One way to interpret this might be that legalization makes it tougher for medical marijuana patients to be able to get and hold on to a job. But with only four states that have legalized so far, and those states being West Coast states that have already had Supreme Court decisions go against them with respect to medical marijuana use, I think that colors the data a little bit when we're talking about how how well it would uh, uh, transfer to some of these other states. As far as disciplinary actions, if you're caught smoking pot for the first time, the most frequently cited first time policy violation was termination. The most likely thing to happen first strike is getting fired. This was reported by more HR professionals at organizations where states have legal marijuana than the places that have only medical marijuana in states with legal marijuana half of those companies will fire you for the first time marijuana violation versus 41 percent if you are in a medical only state similarly there were uh other punishments available that were more likely to go to you in a state that has medical marijuana than one that has legal marijuana could be a requirement to go to drug therapy or counseling 21% likely in the medical states, 16% likely in the legal states, or written warning, 19% likely in a medical state, 14% likely in a legal state. So once again, the chance that a medical marijuana patient is going to get punished with termination versus a more rehabilitative type of punishment is greater in a legal state than it is in a medical marijuana state. Pre-employment drug testing, about half of the uh, HR professionals say their companies conduct pre-employment drug testing for all job candidates. 
others only for safety sensitive or when required by law. About one third, however, do not conduct pre-employment drug testing for marijuana use. But again, more likely in a medical state than in a non-medical state. Only 30% of the organizations in legal states don't test for marijuana. 37% in the medical states. As far as for cause testing, drug testing throughout the course of employment, random drug testing, I shouldn't say for cause, but random drug testing, Two-fifths of the professionals indicated that people could be tested at any time randomly, and that was pretty even, 41 42%, whether it was medical or legal state. Uh, about one quarter indicated all employees are subject to drug testing throughout the course of employment, regardless of an incident. So when it came to incident-based, it was about even, 40%. But when it came to random testing, again, random testing was more likely to be happening in a place that had legal marijuana versus one that only had medical marijuana. So uh, looking at this information, again, it's available at shrm.org, the Society for Human Resource Management. And they've also provided graphs here that can really illustrate how much worse it is in a medical marijuana state than somewhere that is a uh, uh, or a recreational state than somewhere that is a medical marijuana state. I'd encourage everyone to check this out. And um, according to the states that have legalized marijuana, how has your organization modified its policy since legalization of marijuana? 37% in the legal states say they've made their policies more restrictive. And 30% said they've clarified their policy to include language specifically about marijuana. Only 12% of the companies in the legal states say they've made their policies less restrictive now that marijuana has been legalized. This is one of the big issues we will be fighting out here on the West Coast as we continue to seek our true marijuana equality. We're back with Lynette Shaw right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larravee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone, and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon, at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. 
This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. is shooting past a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Welcome back, everybody. As we close out the weekend, we get to visit with one of my favorite people out there, an activist who's been doing this at least twice or three times as long as I have. It's Lynette Shaw on the phone. How you doing, Lynette? Hey, Rush. Hi. Hey, good to talk to you. Great to talk to you. So uh, for folks out out there listening, uh, Lynette Shaw is the founder of the Marin Alliance for Medical Marijuana. It's uh, is it the first or just one of the first or how do you guys fit in the history there? It was the very first of the nation to be granted a license, a licensed and regulated. We invented the licensed dispensary system in 1997. And I held the only license to sell medical marijuana for eight years in the whole nation. That's right. So there were a lot of people that were helping patients even before medical marijuana became officially legal in 1996. I'm going to go back to Dennis Perone, Buyers Club, all that yeah. stuff. But you were the first one to get the, the, the blessing of your local government, right? That's correct. You know, I was open before 215 as part of Dennis Perone's acolytes and in the midst of this terrible drug war and epidemic. We were one of the five clubs in California that were open before 215, which was very scary. Yeah, no kidding. And, and also very necessary because we had we were number two in the nation for HIV AIDS and number one in the nation for breast cancer. Oh, my. So Marin Alliance is formed. You guys are working for eight years uh, through the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, everybody in Marin County is cool with what you're doing. Everything's going along fine. And then what happens? Well, we were actually open 15 years with no police calls, no trouble, no incidents, no problems whatsoever. And uh, the winds of politics changed, and uh, the Obama administration sent in Melinda Haig to to seize my landlord's land because they could not shut me any other way. I had a license granted by municipal law, and uh, even though I had been sued by President Clinton six months later in 1998, we had the right to appeal. So I spent 15 years in federal uh, appeals over the right to have a license. 
and um, they could not win, not in California, you know. So they cheated and took my landlord's land temporarily in order to shut us down in 2011 after 16 years of perfect compliance and no complaints. And that's you know, that, uh, it's about the time I'm meeting you. I'm getting involved in the in activism around 2007, 2008. By 2011, the shutdown's happening, and I and I got to see you at a few different events of after that point where you know the, the whole world had come you know crushing its heel down upon you. You lose the the dispensary, oh. you go bankrupt. Tell folks what it was like after that raid they removed all my tax deductions of the previous 15 years and hit me with a 10 million dollar back tax bill they uh they sent a treasury agent to the bank next door the bank little bank of america and threatened to remove their charter unless they got rid of my bank accounts you know they removed my social security savings of my lifetime they followed me around for years and years, and they also sent an agent to sit in my former landlord's parking lot to chase off all the tenants. He lost all his tenants. Wow. Um, it, they, after they sat outside my house for two years, I couldn't go anywhere. I could not speak freely. I could not work. I was barred for life anywhere in the nation from working in the marijuana industry. Yeah, the industry uh, that I, you helped to create, you get an injunction against you that says not only you can't do what you were doing at Marin, but nowhere in California, nowhere in Colorado, nowhere in the nation can you do the the thing that you knew how to do and love. That was just despicable. It was crushing to me, you know, because I love the patients, and my specialty is match, matching strains to illnesses. And I've worked with you know, 30 or 40,000 individuals in my career. We had 8,568 come through our doors in our little tiny place over 15 years, and I loved each and every single one of them. That was my family they took away from me. Yeah. That, 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 was, that, was, you know, that was my whole life. And, and then I was bar. I mean, I couldn't go anywhere because those guys were following me. I couldn't make any speeches. I couldn't attend any meetings. I couldn't go to any events because those guys were following me. I had agents actually come up and bump me on the street saying, you know, if you give us some names and addresses, we'll go easier on you and walk away. Jeez. That's just... Uh, and it's, it's just horrible and, and, and unconstitutional. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I was devastated and I, was, I lost everything. My car got repossessed. I couldn't make the payments. I'm sitting here with no income, no, no car, and a house in foreclosure. Um so uh, it was devastating. I, went, I had to go on public welfare this all last year just to go to the food bank and get food stamps and um, try to survive and not be homeless, which my lawyer felt very, very bad about this because he fought for us for you know, 14 out of, the, out of the 15 years we were on this case, you know. And he filed a, he filed a, after the Warbacher Farm Amendment was passed, Section 538, that removed money to prosecute medical marijuana dispensaries, we filed uh, with the, for the, the town of Fairfax. Um, they asked the judge to let me go. And the three, three separate supervisors from the Board of Supervisors here in Marin County sent individual letters asking them to let me go, that I had done a sterling job in cooperating with the county and we would be welcome back, you know. I had a support and terrific arguments and the DOJ comes in and the prosecutor says in open court well we don't care what other people have she just can't have a dispensary <laughs> <You know? laughs> and my judge absolutely hit the ceiling he was furious I've never I, I, and I've never 
Well, I'm a paralegal, and I went did a lot of marijuana criminal defense for many years, saving my people, right? Sure. But I have never been in a hearing where the judge stood up. He stood up out of his chair, <laughs> leaned over his, and points his finger at the DOJ and shakes that finger of shame at the DOJ, saying, excuse me, do you remember equal justice under the law? <laughs> 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 so that's when I knew I'd won the case, you know, but I, I was like being as quiet as I could there in, in the peanut gallery going, oh my God, I, the judge just stood up and, and, and shook his finger at the prosecutor. <laughs> what an amazing sight. We're speaking with Lynette Shaw, the founder of the Marin Alliance for Medical Marijuana, and where this case uh, takes a national turn has to do with that amendment you you mentioned. It's been passed twice now uh, in the federal yes. budget, the, the Rohrbacher amendment that says the Department of Justice can't use money to bust state legal medical marijuana and the department of justice had been saying well no it doesn't uh it just says we can't interfere with state legal marijuana it doesn't say we can't bust people and rohrbacher came back and said well no it damn well says <laughs> that's exactly what yeah. we meant and, and this i, I this had is- the privilege and the absolute <laughs> pleasure to snitch out the doj to congress <laughs> <laughs> well that and that's i we sent hard evidence for my case straight to rohrbacher's office Said, look at this. The DOJ says they don't have to obey the the Robarker Farm Amendment, you know. And and the, he, it, it, the, the entire, the, they got Congress to send the Inspector General to inspect the way they're prosecuting my case and every other case in thirty two states. Mm. And that's the point. So they sent him. They sent him the bulldog who could arrest Loretta Lynch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's that's the uh, that's the point of this is that by uh, the court having to review your injunction, it not only frees you now, but it also has set that precedent of that's what the Rohrbacher Amendment means. You can't go after people. Am I am I got that right? Yes, exactly. And this has been helpful in many cases across the nation. It also forbids as spending funds for asset forfeiture over medical marijuana. Hmm. So this also, I believe, tipped the scale. And you saw where the, 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 the DOJ removed asset forfeiture for the table nationwide. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that we had something to do with that. Not 100% of it, but uh, uh, definitely we tipped the scales because it is now a felony to spend deficit spend funding. The anti-deficiency bill was passed by, you know, passed by the Republicans to stop deficit spending by Obama administration, right? Right. So it's now a felony for a federal agency to deficit spend. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. And this is what the <laughs> inspector general is breathing down the neck of the prosecutors over medical marijuana now, thanks to the Shaw decision. Well, and a, I'm very pleased. That's so nice. You've got a decision in your own name, the Shaw decision. And, uh, the Shaw decision. <laughs> that's wonderful. And uh, what's the status of Marin Alliance now? Well, um, my landlord was forced to sign a terrible settlement under the threat of asset forfeiture where he cannot rent to me specifically or any other dispensary for the rest of his life, nor can his heirs. Wow. Unheard of, right? Yeah. So uh, he wants to he wants to rent to me. The town wants me to reopen in the same place. It's the only place in our little dinky town that's full of schools that qualifies under state law. Aha! Uh-huh. So there's one place and one place only, and it's barred forever by this, this terrible settlement. So we are planning to we got to raise some more money and get another lawyer for my landlord who is willing to rent to me again, and the town wants to put me back there. But we're not sure how long that's going to take. 
but we are definitely going to fight for mystery, mystery Zazi and the, our former location. In the meantime, because of the, de- the death of the Red Alliance, there's been a huge medical crisis going on in Marin County with no dispensaries here for the last four-plus years. Mm. Um, they have finally come around to the realization how valuable the Red Alliance was, and they have agreed to issue up to four licenses for dispensaries here in Marin. Uh, so I threw my hat into the ring for a county license in an unincorporated county territory just a, a few miles away from Fairfax. And it looks good for me to reopen there by the end of this summer, like I would say August or September, when the process will be done with the county. In the meantime, we do plan to fight for Fairfax, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's you know, not easy to do. It took me 18 years to be free to this injunction, and uh, you know I'm still willing to fight and continue to fight so that my landlord is free and that we don't have this terrible specter over all of us of being arrested and you know over what is legal for us to do under state law. Yeah, no kidding. Well, well, I was never arrested. I was sued. This, this is the funny part, is when President Clinton sued me in 1998 and brought me to civil court, this was like a chess game for him or something, I guess, you know, because I had an actual license. They can't really come over the heads of all the local officials and arrest me, so they sued me for, for my license. But because I had been, I had this unique license at the time, the only one in the nation, I was able to appeal. I had the right to appeal. The Constitution stepped in. And because I was in civil litigation over marijuana, I was... They, they were barred from raiding me by the Constitution, double jeopardy. They could not arrest me and prosecute me criminally while I was in civil litigation over marijuana. Hmm. Wow. So it inoculated me from being raided. So while we were appealing, they could not raid us, so I kept my doors open the entire time and proved that a regulated dispensary would work to the satisfaction of all the locals and all the patients and everybody. Yep. So, uh, so I was able to fight like crazy, fifty grand a year in legal fees for the Oof. whole fifteen years, and, uh, and despite all the harassment and all the all the you know fear mongering by the feds, we were able to prove that this dispensary worked. And so uh, I'm the godmother of all dispensaries. <laughs> that's right, and that's why they went after you. They always go after the ones that are doing it right because they don't want that proof that it can work uh, to get out there in yeah. front of the people. Uh, Lynette, if if people want to help you and the Marin Alliance for Medical Marijuana, how can they get in touch with you online or make any donations? That'd be great. I have a GoFundMe site, GoFundMe.com, ReopenMAM, M-A-M-M, stands for Marin Alliance for Medical Marijuana. Um, I have my email, cbcmarinalliance at gmail.com, and I'm happy to speak with anyone about helping us. <laughs> they did appeal. Here's the strange part. The feds appealed this, this scathing decision by Judge Pryor. Yeah. And uh, from what I understand, Rohrbacher has to retire in about a year and a half term limits. So yeah. they're hoping that the Rohrbacher amendment goes away and he could, they could reboot uh-huh. their hideous drug war. Well, we'll have to keep in we touch know. with you on that, Lynette. We're yeah. out of time for today's interview, but thanks for joining us here and we'll be in touch again sometime soon. Anytime, Russ. You take care. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. 
Herbage Designs. Lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herbage Designs. We've got Frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herbage Designs. We've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbageDesigns.com. And follow Herbage and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. The Russ Belleville Show. Providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. Despite strong public support for medical cannabis, decriminalization, and legalization in Georgia, the state spends $121 million every year to arrest, prosecute, and imprison Georgians for simple possession. Each year, the state of Georgia spends less on driver services, agriculture, and forestry combined. What else can $121 million a year do in Georgia? With that much money, the state could hire and keep 3,000 more teachers, improve roads and bridges, provide tax relief for small businesses, repair aging sewage systems, or lower taxes. But right now, that's millions of dollars of your tax money wasted on failed enforcement. Tell your representative you're tired of wasteful spending and ask them to end cannabis prohibition. Join the conversation at www.peachtreenormal.org. Peachtree Normal is a proud affiliate of Normal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. The Netflix documentary series Making a Murderer has captivated the nation's attention. The filmmakers chronicle the case of Stephen Avery, a junkyard owner railroaded by the Manitowoc County, Wisconsin, police and judicial system into serving 18 years in prison for a rape he did not commit. After being exonerated of the rape by advances in DNA testing, Avery is set free. Over the next couple of years, Avery sues Manitowoc County for $36 million for wrongful imprisonment. Just as his lawsuit is beginning to hold Manitowoc cops and lawyers to account, a young female photographer goes missing. Her murdered remains show up on Avery's property, and Avery and his mentally challenged teen nephew are charged with the gruesome rape and murder. Whether Avery actually committed the crime is a secondary point in the film compared to its examination of the police search and subsequent trial. Avery's defense points to numerous inconsistencies in the state's prosecution, as well as the conflict of an interest inherent in having the very Manitowoc County deputies Avery was suing being involved in the search of the crime scene. Crucial pieces of damning evidence, 
like the murdered woman's car keys and bullet fragments, are missed over a full week of searching, but miraculously turn up after two suspicious Manitowoc deputies join the search later. A vial of Avery's blood from his overturned rape conviction decades ago is found to have been tampered with, leading defense to suggest it was used to plant his blood smears in the woman's vehicle. Then there's the nephew, a dullard of a boy who is pressured into a confession by two trained interrogators. His mother is not present, and he's never given the assistance of counsel. But even when he does get an appointed lawyer, that attorney and his investigator actually steer the boy toward making the state's case against Avery, and in the process, damning himself to a 42-year stint in prison. So as I read the reviews and discussions of Making a Murderer, I see Americans shocked that so much police and prosecutorial malfeasance came to bear on this one man and his family. To them I say, welcome to our world. First off, I assume that many of the commenters who are so shocked must be white. That cops would lie and plant evidence and that prosecutors would cut ethical corners to secure a conviction rather than find the truth is nothing shocking to your average black or Latino family in most urban settings. Consider all of the recent high-profile killings of unarmed black men caught on camera. How many of those police reports said the suspect was aggressive, hostile, and going for the cop's gun, only to have the video evidence completely expose those lies? Then, of course, there are the daily miscarriages of justice that take place in the war on certain American citizens using non-pharmaceutical, non-alcoholic, tobacco-free drugs. One of the first stories I covered in my marijuana journalism was Atlanta's Katherine Johnston. She was a 92-year-old black woman who was raided by cops when they falsified information to get a search warrant for what ended up being the wrong address. Fearing for her life, she shot at them once with a pistol, only to be killed by their return fire of 39 shots. So, the cops planted bags of marijuana in the 92-year-old woman's home to justify the raid and the shooting. Then there is the case of undercover narc Tom Coleman in Tulia, Texas. He targeted the black population of Tulia in supposed cocaine stings that turned up no evidence of cocaine, no drug paraphernalia, no weapons, no money, no other signs of drug dealing. At one point, Coleman had 13% of the adult black population of the town arrested. He even secured convictions against Billy Wafer, who could prove he was at work when Coleman said he was selling him cocaine. And Yule Bryant, a five foot seven inch bald man who Coleman's report described as tall and bushy haired and who witnesses placed 50 miles away from Coleman when he said he was sold cocaine by Bryant. Philip Smith at StopTheDrugWar.org regularly chronicles the latest drug war police corruption stories, like the stories that include cops in Louisiana conspiring with a local businessman to plant drugs in the man's brother's car, and another cop in Florida who stole cocaine from the evidence locker to trade for services from sex workers. And it's not just the local yokel police departments and sheriff's offices involved. 
Drug war corruption extends all the way to the federal level, costing former DEA administrator Michelle Lenhart her job when it was revealed that DEA agents in Colombia were enjoying parties with sex workers paid for by the drug cartels. Now, locking up an innocent San Diego college student in solitary confinement for five days with no food or water, well, that was just a simple mistake. But there are stories after stories, so many so that Phil Smith, Philip Smith, again, at the Stop the Drug War website, compiles these on a weekly basis. You can go to StopTheDrugWar.org, and there is actual feed for their police corruption category that every week has a new instance. This week in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, a Tuscaloosa County jail guard was arrested after authorities learned about contraband in the jail. Darius Bramlett is charged with second degree promoting prison comp- contraband and conspiracy to distribute a controlled substance. At last report, he was still in jail on a $30,000 bond. In Rockview, Pennsylvania, a Rockview prison guard was arrested last Wednesday on charges he was smuggling drugs into the prison. Guard Rodney Stahl, age 32, is accused of trying to bring synthetic marijuana, oxycodone, tramadol, and laprolazam into the prison in August. Stahl went down after an anonymous tip led to a random search where a drug dog alerted on him and the drugs were found. He faces 11 felony counts and is now out on bail. The week prior in Memphis, a former federal prison guard was arrested on charges he tried to smuggle marijuana into prison in Forest City, Arkansas. John Brooks, age 28, is charged with one count of accepting money to smuggle contraband into prison in violation of his official duties and one count of attempting to provide marijuana to an inmate. He's looking at up to 20 years in federal prison. In Media, Pennsylvania, a former Upper Darby Township police officer was arrested on more than a thousand criminal counts for allegedly stealing money and drugs and tampering with evidence in the department's evidence room. Brad Ross, age 41, went down after another evidence officer noticed that evidence had been tampered with and he then checked himself into a drug rehab program. The department then began an evidence room audit, finding numerous lots of evidence had been tampered with and then searched Ross's home, finding lots of incriminating evidence, including pill bottles and pill bottles prescribed to other people. The department also found that he had been prescribed more than 1,800 OxyContin tablets himself. The audit found that 203 evidence envelopes had been tampered with, with a total of more than 3,700 pills, $14,000 in cash, eight cell phones, assorted gift cards, and jewelry missing. Ross is now charged with 203 counts by theft, uh, counts of theft by unlawful taking or disposition, 203 counts of receiving stolen property, 203 counts of tampering with evidence, 203 counts of obstructing the administration of law, 203 counts of hindering prosecution, and 203 counts of official oppression. And of course, the big story that's come out this week, uh, the case of the Northern California narcotics cop busted in Pennsylvania while trafficking 122 kilograms of Emerald Triangle Bud for sale on the East Coast. The corrupt cop stories never stop, and a lot of these stories all have to do with the drug war. It becomes an impossible situation for these cops to ignore. Too many of them are lured and corrupted by this drug war. If we want to be able to trust our police, if we want to be able to trust our justice system, that cannot happen until we end the war on drugs. So thank you, Netflix, for dramatically illustrating a case that involved a white family 
and no drugs. Just so Americans can finally recognize that when it comes to bad cops and prosecutors, it's not just a few bad apples, but the product of a rotten barrel. That's all the time we got for hour one, but stay tuned. Hour two, Toker Talk Radio is coming up next live on CannabisRadio.com, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Get your 420 on with me. We're going to be talking a little bit more and letting my hair down, at least what's left of it. And we're taking your calls live at 971-533-7111. If you got calls about the law, medical marijuana, anything you want to know, Give me a call. I might know the answer. We'll also tell you an update on Portland's Cannabis Cafe, the new director of Arizona Normal, and the capture of Mexico's El Chapo Guzman. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, live from Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal Potland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.